Amen. Well, good morning. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas. Uh, if you are a guest with us today, I want to once again uh, say welcome to you. Today is a, is a bit different uh, in a couple of different ways. Different in one way that I'm the worship and student pastor, so I'm usually not the one that's bringing the message. I'm usually the one that's leading uh, the songs. And it's different in another way as we usually walk through uh, books of the Bible. Right now we are uh, in a series through the book of First and Second Samuel and through the book of First and, and Second uh, Kings. And so we're going to be jumping out of that for a few weeks here, uh, including today. And today we're going to be jumping, uh, we're going to be looking at the passage that Sarah just read from First Peter. So go ahead and grab a Bible, open that Bible up to that. I think it's uh, page 1014 in the, the Black Bibles. Uh, in, in front of you there. And at Providence, um, we love the Bible. And we love the hero of the Bible, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we preach. That's what we sing. That's what we pray. And so we just want to say welcome to you this morning. So as I said, we're going to be uh, looking at the, the book of First Peter today, um, and again, it's the verses that Sarah read, chapter 1, 13, uh, through uh, chapter 2, verse 12. We're not going to read that again, but we're just going to kind of fly over that uh, and, and do a 30,000 uh, foot view of that. Just a little bit of background, anytime that you get into, uh, anytime you jump into a book, it's always kind of good to know um, what's going on. Uh, in within the book, and so a little bit of the background of what's happening is Peter, under the influence of the Holy uh, Spirit, writes uh, when when Rome burned, many Romans believed that Nero had had burned it because of his great desire to build. He loved he loved to build, and so he he wanted to build more, so he had to burn what was there, and so the Romans were totally devastated. Their sense of culture had been um, destroyed. And Nero realized that he had to deflect some of this hostility that was coming at him. And probably the only group hated more than Nero was the Christians. And so Nero spread word that the Christians had set the fire. And so Peter is, so vicious persecution began against Christians. And Peter is writing to strengthen them. And he's writing to teach them how to live holy lives in an unholy world. In an unhospitable, unholy environment. And so, as we think about the doctrine of holiness, there's a few clarifications that we need to keep in mind. And one of those is that there is a difference between practical holiness and positional holiness. So positionally, if you are a believer, we are holy in Christ. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be holy. And this is a work that He has done for us. And why... Uh, why Peter in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, can write that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Positionally, 
in Christ, we are as holy as He is. And isn't that amazing for us to think about? It is for me. It's, it's mind-blowing. But we are not practically holy, are we? In other words, what we practice every day, our, our day-to-day lives, are still very much a work in progress. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're new to this this church thing, I want to tell you what you won't hear today. What you want here today is a list of good things that you can do to be accepted by a holy God. Because there isn't anything you can do except look to the Holy One Himself, Jesus Christ. And so this message today is primarily to Christians, to us who are believers. To those of you who have not come to Christ, know that you are not here by accident. That God in His sovereignty brought you here today so that you can hear the gospel presented. In Him, we can be holy. Now, in the pursuit of holiness, when you hear the word holiness, there's a lot of ideas that go through our brains, right? I mean, just just think, when you hear the word holiness, kind of what are some things that you're thinking about? So probably some of you guys are thinking about isolation, right? So you're thinking about, okay, so... Uh, we're thinking about the Quakers, we're thinking about the Amish who kind of who kind of um, take themselves, their ideas to kind of separate themselves out of the world, uh, to get away from the modern technologies, from the uh, from uh, you know just to separate themselves. You might think of like colonies of of monks, or I think of like you know where Batman went and trained, like way up on the the mountain, like it's it's very <coughs> separated and. And isolated, you might think of uh, a different way to dress, some funny robes or, or hats or things like that. Uh, there is a group, like in, in Central Asia, there's a group that, that dress in this ritualistic kind of clothing. We got a picture, there's, there's one <laughs> there that kind of appears to be some kind of ritual going on. We have another one here. This... Uh, <laughs> This appears to be some kind of turkey, uh, I don't know, sacrifice or something <laughs> going on there. But the problem is, is that we are to be separated from sin and not isolated from sinners. How are we going to fulfill the Great Commission if we isolate ourselves from sinners? I mean, look at the life of Jesus. Who was it that Jesus hung around? You can say it. Sinners. Yeah. Jesus hung around sinners. Now some of us when we hear the word holiness, our mind immediately goes to, you know, that is boring. Okay. But I want to tell you, that's a wrong 
idea. A wrong idea. Jesus says that blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, what does that mean? Happy. Happy are the holy. If you want to be happy in life, pursue holiness. Think about the people in your life that are the most miserable. The people in your life that are the most miserable are the people that are shackled by the chains of sin. Holiness is where the greatest joy is discovered. And so Peter here is trying to teach the church how to live in an unbelieving world. And this is a world that is watching us. That is watching everything that we do. Our student ministry on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that we see in the book of Ephesians is there's this pattern that goes through. It's because this is true... Because of this, because this is who you are, then this is how you should act. And so we see that pattern here in 1 Peter as well. In the verses that were read earlier, verse 14, uh, Peter is, well, in in the whole thing, Peter is telling us who who we are and some of the ways that he, he calls us out here. Verse 14, he calls them, Children, in verse 15, the called, verse 18, ransomed, in verse 22, purified soul, in verse 23, born again, and over in chapter 2 and and verse 5, living stones. And then we look at chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, and I, I want us to read this again. And here at Providence... I hope at Providence we are a people that do two things. One is, I hope we are a people that brings your Bible to church. Okay, I know that that's kind of a lost thing now because we have phones and we can just pull it up so easily, but it's, it's really hard to mark on your phone. Okay, It's really hard to write in the margins of your phone. You can do that with your Bible. So I hope that if you're not doing that, you'll do that. How many of you guys, anybody have a red Bible? Anybody have a red Bible? Anybody? You guys start reading your Bible. I mean, come on, this is... That is the corny pastor joke of the day. I can't tell you how long I've been waiting to do that. But I hope that you... I hope that you bring your Bibles. And then when you bring your Bibles, I hope you write in your Bibles. I hope you mark in your Bibles because there's nothing more glorious than going back through you know, your Bible and looking at all the things that you've, that you've written down. So I just want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge you with those. So turn over with me to chapter 2, verses 9 through, through 12. I want to I read this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So if you are a Christian, You never have to ask the question, who am I? And we live in a world that is obsessed with that question. But the answer is right here. You are a chosen race. Now let me clarify that. This has nothing to do with ethnicity. This has nothing to do with skin color or nationality. Uh, some of you, if you have a different translation, it may say ch- a chosen generation. But this means that in Christ you have been chosen. You have been set apart, regardless of skin color or ethnicity or nationality. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That is who we are if we are in Christ. And if we are trying to find our identity in anything else, we're going to struggle. And so, that may be the longest sermon intro that I have ever given. Now we are jumping into the sermon as as we look through these verses. In an unholy world, Peter is calling us to do three things. He's calling us to Pursue holiness. Proclaim the good news. And practice good deeds. Pursue holiness. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of of time this morning. How do we do that? We do that by living in the power that comes with our identity in Christ that comes with our new identity. I remember being at a conference and a pastor was talking about going to the Ukraine to, uh, to pick up uh, four children that he had adopted in the Ukraine, two, se- two sets of siblings. And he and his wife went there and when they got there, they discovered that one of the policies of the orphanage was that the orphanage would not allow the children to take anything with them from the orphanage. So every, every stitch of clothes that they had, everything that they had, had to stay there in the orphanage. And so this couple began scrambling around uh, the city looking for clothes and, and everything. They had nothing for four, for four kids, so socks and underwear and t-shirts and you know, shoes and everything that you would need. And they got these four little backpacks and they packed up these little backpacks with all of their stuff and they bought them some games and some 
things to write on uh, on the plane and, and things to kind of keep them occupied. And they handed him their, their backpacks, and they were ecstatic to get these backpacks that had their stuff, stuff that was just theirs. And so they'd get in the socks out, and they were counting each little item that they had. And then the dad looked at the, at the kids and said, all right, it's time to go home. And one of the little girls looked up at her new daddy, and she said, and she said, you mean our forever home? And he said, yeah, your forever home. That is a picture of the gospel. That is a picture of our new identity. These little kids taking off these old, dirty, nasty orphanage clothes and putting them in a pile and putting on their new clothes with their new mommy and their new daddy and their new name and their new identity and going to their new home. That is a picture of the gospel. Once we were orphans, but now we have a new father and a new identity. And so Peter tells us here that because this is who we are, there's some things that we need to do. And one of the things that he tells us, and we see it in the very first, the very first verse that we read in verse 13. Peter tells us to make war on sin. If you look at verse 13, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds for actions. Now, some of the older translations, if you have an older translation, you'll see a thing, you'll see it'll say, gird up your loins. This is why we need new translations. Because that doesn't mean anything to us. But what it means, what gird up your loins means, is, you know, in those days, they wore robes. And so when you would get ready to go into a battle, if you're running with a long robe, you're going to be tripping and falling. So you gird up your loins and you tie them off and, and then you, you get ready to, to run into battle. And so basically what it means is to be battle ready. Now, I have never been in battle. I've never been in combat. I know some of you guys in here have. The closest thing I get is high school football. I did play high school football. Uh, when I played high school football, I was about the same height I am now, about 5'10", and I weighed 130 pounds. So you can imagine Steve Rogers, Captain America, before they pump all the goo into him, right? I look like Steve Rogers after they pump all the goo, except the goo kind of settled right here <laughs> instead of in the arms and the, and the legs. But I remember a night being on the football team, and I remember 
I remember I played, I was a freshman, I played, I was a backup quarterback and I played special teams and I was out on the field, but my mind was somewhere else because I had a girl that was supposed to come and watch me play football that night. So that's where my mind was. I didn't see her in the stands. I'm looking around, I didn't see her. So I run out onto the field for the kickoff and this was sometime early in the game and I hear the whistle blow. I'm still kind of looking in the stands. My mind's kind of everywhere. I'm looking in the stands and I'm running and so the, the whistle blows, the ball's kicked, I'm running down the field, and my, my brain is just elsewhere, and all of a sudden I hear something that sounds like a missile coming towards my ear hole. Boom! I get laid out. I don't remember much after that. I do remember uh, walking to the locker room at the end of the game. Uh, I was told that I had to be helped off the field. Some of you are thinking he had a mild brain trauma. This, this is beginning to make some uh, sense now why so this is beginning to you know I'm beginning to see clearly now but it means to be battle ready I wasn't battle ready my my loins were not girded <laughs> I was not ready for what was a, what was about to happen but but Peter is telling us here that sin never sleeps we sometimes sleep on sin but sin never sleeps and I heard, I heard, a, um, I heard a, uh, this quote, and I looked this week to see if, if I could find who it was. I couldn't, so that I could give them credit, but it's stuck with me for a long time. It says, we want to treat sin as a pet to be tamed instead of a monster to be slain. We want to treat sin as a pet to be tamed instead of a monster to be slain. We think we can handle it. We've got it under control. We don't. There is a war going on within our heart. And we need to realize first that we are in a war. And secondly, we need to be battle ready to put sin to death. Peter tells us to embrace the high calling of our identity. And Peter is calling on us to do what we read from Leviticus here. He's quoting Leviticus. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. If you are called to salvation, you are called to holiness. And that should penetrate every area of our lives. Home, work, relationships, all should reflect the holiness that we've been called to. We are to live before the eyes of God. Now, I, I give this illustration to our students a lot, but imagine... If, if you could, that I, that I could say to you, all right, each one of you, we're going to go through your week and we're going to examine your life in light of holiness. And some of you go, okay, it's Christmas. I had a, I had a pretty good week, right? It's pretty good. Everything went, went pretty well. Well, what if I extended that and said, and we have a machine now that Jeff has fixed up for us in the back here that's going to be able to display your thought life to the congregation. 
Everything that you've thought through this week is going to be displayed to the congregation. Uh Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. But we live like we have a father who can be deceived. We don't. He can't be deceived. We would be devastated for this congregation to see our sinful thoughts. Yet we live like we are deceiving our father because we are more driven by fear and acceptance of man than we are by the wrath of God. Making war on sin is more than behavioral modification. It's fighting sin. Now, doing things to protect yourself from sin is good and necessary. And we should be doing that. Sight blockers, accountability partners, not putting yourself in compromising positions, not being alone with someone from the opposite sex unless it's your spouse. And if, and if your work calls you to that, then, then figuring out ways to, to, uh, to do that. But even with all that, Ultimately, we have to decide, just like Joseph had to decide when he was seduced by Potiphar's wife. I will not sin against my God. Look at verse 18. Another thing that Peter calls us to do. Knowing that you were ransomed, verse 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter tells them, remind yourself who you are in Christ all the time. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself to remind yourself what price it was that Christ paid and what it was that we were saved from. Yes, we were saved from eternal punishment, but he also says here that from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, ransomed from eternal punishment, but also ransomed from futility. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. This is not just something that happened a long time ago. You are His. And so every day, preach the gospel to yourself. Pray it. Sing it. Preach the gospel to yourself.
to yourself. In verse 22, we see that, that Peter kind of switches gears a little bit and he moves into some one another statements. So pursue holiness in an unholy world by loving each other. What does he say? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then he goes on over to chapter 2 and verse 1. And he starts telling us some things to do there. To put away malice. To put away deceit. Hypocrisy. Envy. Slander. All of these things destroy the unity of the church. Your life your speech, the way you conduct yourself, either contribute to the unity of the church or they destroy it. And the world is watching how we treat each other. Because if malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander is what the church has to offer, they don't need it. They got that. You can get that anywhere. And so what does what Peter say? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. It says, So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. Peter says in in verse 2, to put all these things that were part of the former life away, and instead we are to long for the Word of God. We are to consume it. We are to feast on it. And so that's my, uh, that's a challenge to you. Christian, are you consuming regularly the Word of God? Are you in the Word? Is it a part of your life? Or is it just something that you do on Sunday morning? We need to consume it, long for it, feast on it. And if you're not, start today. Start right now. Oh, wait, wait till I'm done, but start right now, today, making it a habit in your life. If you don't have a Bible, there's the black ones that are there in front of you. Take one of those home. If you want a really nice Bible, check the lost and found. There's usually some really good ones in there. And so Peter is giving us some ways that we can pursue holiness in an unholy world. Make war on sin. Be ready for battle. Preach the gospel to yourself. 
consume the Word of God. Long for the Word of God. The second point, proclaim the good news. I promise these next two will go a lot faster. Proclaim the good news in an unholy world. This is the mission of the church. The church universal and, and the church here at Providence. Our, our, uh, our mission here at Providence is we exist to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. When you become a Christian, you become a worshiper and you become an evangelist. John Piper says it this way, missions exist because worship doesn't. And so Peter says here, remember, you used to not be one of these people, but now you are. Listen, Facebook is full of us proclaiming the wonders of all kinds of different things. Can, can we say amen to that? Our favorite teams, our favorite movies, our favorite political affiliation, our favorite restaurants. We are good at praise. Peter says here that we are to be faithful in proclaiming the wonders of God. The elders have been reading a book from a guy named Paul Tripp called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And I don't know if it was Joe or John that said one time that if Paul Tripp wrote it, you need to read it. And that's true. And I, I'm giving you that same, that same uh, thing. If, if he wrote it, pick it up and read it. It's good. And one of the, uh, I'm going to quote from this book uh, that, that we have been reading. This is from Paul Tripp. It says, Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into His kingdom, and progressively changing them into His likeness. And He wants you to be a part of it. Proclaim the good news. Third and finally, practice good deeds. Practice good deeds in an unholy world. This displays the very nature of God. This displays the very nature of God. Chapter 2, verse 12 he says, Conduct your, he says, keep your conduct honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Remember what's going on at the time here. Christians are hated. Jesus said something like this, didn't he? In Matthew Chapter 5, verse 16, says, In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The world is watching. Christ is calling us to love each other and to love them in a way that just seems odd. In a way that they don't understand. That's different and makes them want to know, like, where does it come from? Where does that kind of love come from? We who are in Christ have been changed. We're no longer orphans. We have a new family, a new identity, a new life. And, and we are called to pursue holiness, to proclaim the good news, and to practice good deeds in an unholy world. We need to believe that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. And we need to live like it. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, we, we thank you for your word. That it is good and right and righteous. That it is always perfect even when delivered imperfectly. And Father, we thank you for who you are and for who we are in Christ. And so, Father, now as we stand and we sing, Lord, I pray that we would that we would sing as people who are, are changed. That, Father, we would uh, just rejoice that you have counted us worthy. And Father, we give you the honor and the praise. For it's in your name we pray.